Welcome, foolish listeners, to Two Dudes, One Double Feature. I am your dude, your ghost dude. <laughs> the opinions of the dearly departed hosts, the opinions of our dearly departed hosts, do not reflect their employers from their corruptible mortal state. Kindly keep all children away from the episode. There's no turning back now. <laughs> Welcome, welcome everyone to Two Dudes, One Double Feature, the show in which two dudes talk two films, and that is about it. I am Dude One Richard. Dude Two, Joe. Did we harmonize there? Maybe. I I hope we did. (laughs) Fingers crossed, man. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. More specifically, welcome to episode, um, what is it, episode three of our little, like, Halloween kind of mini-series thing we're doing? Yeah, this is episode three of of that, and episode 18 of the overall uh, series of Two Dudes. We're we're going for it, man. We're trucking, and I love it. And you know what? This is going to sound sentimental, but I am am happy that we've, we've, we've gotten this far. And I, you know, get to do something with my friend. It's a lot of fun. This is good stuff. Yeah, I, I have a good time. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! But um, how are you, by the way? How's how's everything going? Not bad. Uh, I I don't know if I mentioned this on on last week's show or not, but I recently got all plat. I got platinum on Ghost of Tsushima before the new update came in. Yes. So I, cause I took a, a hiatus from the game for a while and I got back to playing it, had a lot of fun, been using my PlayStation a bit more actually, was just playing with my brother on Red Dead the other day online. I kept getting killed, but it was still fun. <laughs> and, uh, I, I was also play- some playing some Battlefront. Uh, I, I just, I love playing Battlefront 2. That is, um, just co-op, you know, yeah. mostly as the good guys. So I can try to get those like Luke and Leia skins. As far as, like, stuff that other stuff I've done, I've been watching some movies, you know. I watched the first two Zatoichi movies, The Blind Swordsman. You know, it's a series of movies made in Japan. It's that 25-movie box set you were telling me about? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, 25 movies. Uh, I believe the actor's name is Shintaro Katsu. And he's actually... It's actually kind of funny, too, because he's related to... he's. I think he's he's the brother of the actor whose name escapes me at the moment, 
uh, the actor who portrayed the Lone Wolf, you know, in the Lone Wolf and Cub movies. I have those movies. Um, yeah. The, a, 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 per influence from you, because you're a big Criterion guy, so... Um, I was like, I gotta, you know what, I gotta check these out, because you showed me clips, and I was like, this looks super violent, but, like, in a really exaggerated and fun way, so I'm like, yeah, I'm down. <laughs> and, and, the, and the books are very much like that as well. I don't know if I've ever shown you, like, any pages from the books. I've, I've seen, um, because they have, like, I think Dark Horse put out, like, a compendium of, like, the whole series and, like, a big old fat book, um, which I saw at the, I saw at, like, Barnes & Noble or something, and it looked, it looks, it looks thick, but it looks cool. Yeah, I still haven't finished Volume 1, which is a lot. I think I have, like, Volumes 1 and 2, and then uh, this one store I used to go to called the Record Store, may it rest in peace, when they were closing down, I got two of the volumes for, like, 50% off, so I got, I, I think I got, like, each one for, like, seven bucks, like, eight, Volumes 8 and 9, something. I, I'm not even going to get to those for a very long time, but I just wanted to get them, because sometimes... It's just nice, yeah, it's nice to finish it yeah for for sure but i got i gotta i gotta get back to reading stuff you know there's a bunch of books i gotta i gotta get back to um uh to reading but how, how are you doing i'm doing all right again feeling feeling pretty neutral you know like you know not like overtly excited not overtly upset i'm just kind of i'm in the middle i'm kind of chill which is nice um I've, uh, what have I been doing? So, in the last episode, I was mentioning how I was struggling to find anything to watch. Um, I totally forgot that I had watched the the whole first season of, uh, His Dark Materials on HBO. Very good show. I didn't, like, I thought I would probably, like, enjoy it or be like, oh, this is interesting, but no, I actually really, I ended up really, really liking it. Um, and Armored Bears, by the way, should now be considered amongst the list of, like, best fictional bears. I mean, you got Paddington, you got Baloo, Winnie the Pooh, and Armored Bears. Like, no question. They're, like, they're, like, basically, um, an Armored Bear, just to, like, give you an explanation, Armored Bear is essentially this, like, warrior that lives in, like, the northern, uh, area. So, they're, they're basically all polar bears, and they make their own armor, which is, like, super precious to them. And they make it out of something called Sky Iron, as they call it. And they end up... They're totally badass. It's pretty dope. Armored Bears, top-tier uh, bears in, in the history of bears. Yeah, I might just watch the show just for Armored Bears. Uh, honestly, yeah. I, like, if that if that was your drive, I'd be totally... I'd totally understand, because it's, it's great. It's totally worth it. <laughs> I remember, like, I'm watching it, and I kept saying, Joey, you have to see these armored bears. They're freaking cool. And the clips you showed me, it, do it does look pretty it, neat. It is. It's a, it, I li ended up, like like I said, I ended up liking the show a lot more than I thought I would. Um, uh, what else? I, I've been watching a few um, Hammer Horror movies, because, you know, it's that time of the year. And um, I have these box sets that I bought a while ago that I just haven't gotten around to, like, watching some of the movies in them so i decided to just you know say screw it and sit down and watch them so i watched curse of the werewolf um it's 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 got some of the staples that you would expect in a hammer horror like it's got you know uh like set design and it's a little bit of gore here and there but nothing happens for the first 50 minutes it's all back it's all set up in backstory and then it finally gets to like the werewolf story <laughs> and i'm like 
you serious? Like, I understand you want to, like, build this up, but you, an hour, and then all you have left is, like, 30 minutes of of werewolf stuff? Oof. I mean, come on. Come on. The, the, the one great thing about the movie is, at this point, is the reference it gets in American Werewolf in London. Mm. Uh, I don't know. Do you remember that part? Yeah, I do. I know, I know what you're talking about. So I've been watching a few of those. I also watched, um, for uh, especially, and I, th- I think you'd be interested in this, I watched um, the Hammer version of Phantom of the Opera. Yes, which, yes. Yes. That that was, it was interesting. It Again, it had like a lot of those like um, typical uh, elements that you find in Hammer. Um, and the, the set design for the, the Phantom's Lair was really, really cool. Um, I think the one thing, it, it felt, it felt very tame compared to, comparing to other, like, Phantom, like, uh, uh, compared to other Hammer horror films. There's not a lot of violence or, or, or gore or anything. It's not even, it doesn't even have a whole lot of, like, sex appeal, which is something a lot of people kind of associate with Hammer. But, uh, like, some of the, like, design stuff were cool. I'd definitely be curious to see what you thought of that one, honestly. So whenever you get a chance, you should watch it. I know, um, whatchamacallit, uh, Screen Factory has a Blu-ray of that that I've been meaning to pick up. Probably the next time I pick up anything through them, I'm gonna... There's so many, like, there's, there's so many, like, old Universal and, like, Hammer things that they that they sell. Like, they have these Universal horror sets that I mm-hmm. have, like, two of the volumes of, and it, they're really nice sets, but it's just, like, I don't feel like spending 60 bucks a pop, you know, all, <laughs> all the time on, like, four movie sets or whatever, but... Um, oh, but you were mentioning American Werewolf in London, which may- reminded me, I also watched John Landis's Schlock. Yes, you, t- yeah, I remember you were telling <laughs> me about this. How was that one? Well, okay, so this was uh, a Blu-ray from Arrow, and this was John Landis's like, directorial debut, and he also stars as the titular role of the, I think, the Schlockthropus. It's typically just referred to as Schlock, I think it has like a species name, you know, he's like a missing link type... And basically, he's been killing people and uh, taking bananas. But one thing with this movie, it, it's 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 very much a John Landis movie. Like mm-hmm. when you when you if you've seen like Blues Brothers or American Werewolf, you're like, oh my gosh, this is definitely made by the same guy. Just like before those movies, because <laughs> there's a scene, you know, there's there's scenes in the beginning. There's like a almost like horrific like scene where they sort of pan over the carnage that was caused by Schlock because he killed a bunch of people. But then there's a scene where it parodies 2001 A Space Odyssey, where, you know the scene where the ape finds, like, a bone? Yeah. And he starts smashing up things, and you hear that the swelling music that <laughs> 2001 is so famous for? They do the same thing, but Schluck uses that bone to smash through a window. They use the same music, too. Smashes the, the bone through a glass window to get bananas. Freaking gorgeous. <laughs> do they does it, do they do the close-ups and everything, too? Like the, like the bone <laughs> spinning and everything? Yes, yes, they do. Dude, oh my gosh. I'm not saying you should buy the Blu-ray, but, like, I'm saying if you... I think it's on the Arrow streaming service, but, like, if you ever get a chance, definitely just check it out. It's, like, it's like it's not even that long, and it's just so... It's <laughs> schluck. It, the title says it all about this movie. It's just schluck. Like, it, it's, it's got, like, the weird... It's just schlock, but you know, good time. I definitely, I'm definitely glad I picked it up from Arrow. They've been becoming my new favorite like boutique label. Between the Gamera set, their American Werewolf Blu-ray is is uh, is excellent, and I really, of course, you know how much I love the Flash Gordon yeah. disc that they put out. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's definitely some Arrow one because I, I I I I 
crave that Crimson Peak set they 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 did, which I mean, I can like I can only find it like um uh like a region B copy. Like they had it at uh like a local like video like trade-in store and it was $85. Jeez. Oh. Yeah. So I'm like, listen, as much as I want this, um I can't even watch it cuz I don't have the proper player, but at the same time, I'm not spending $85. So <laughs> that's that's not happening. But um speaking of Crimson Peak though, I was also watching um the new Haunting of Bly Manor season on Netflix. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Which uh I really liked I don't know if I like it as much as Haunting of Hill House, which it's kind of like a follow-up to that se- to that uh season or to that show. Mm-hmm. Um it's got a lot of the same people. Um uh, Mike Flanagan, who's one of my all-time favorite horror filmmakers right now, directed and created the first like the whole like series. But um, he mostly worked in the episodes in the first season, whereas the second season he did like the first episode and then like kind of had a bunch of other people come on. So I don't know if that's what what it was, but I did like it. Um, it's based on this season's based on the book Turn of the Screw, which was adapted into a bunch of things, including uh, most famously The Innocence, which is in the Criterion Collection. The the show has a lot of callbacks and a lot of Easter eggs to that movie. Even the fact that the main character, who's like the governess, her name is Danny Clayton, named after Jack, who directed The Innocence. And um, the song from the from the original Innocence is in the show, so they use it as like the characters sing it. And which I looked it up because I thought maybe it was from the book. It's not. It's from the movie. So. And then um, the the scene when um, uh, you first see, uh, like, the evil, like, uh, ghost or whatever, like, the governess in the original movie sees him, and he, like, comes towards the window and then backs back out, that's in the show as well. Okay. All right. So, and I think, and the one thing I was worried about watching it was because I was familiar with the, with that movie and was familiar with the story that I, I, because I knew what was going to happen. One thing I liked is that it seems... Mike Flanagan kind of felt that as well, so he changed it up a bit. So like it's so like it doesn't exactly end how you think. Okay. So I liked it, but I, it's not. Um, I don't know if I like it as much as Hill House because I think the only the, the only sad part about Hill House is that Timothy Sutton is in it. <laughs> yeah, that's what I've been watching pretty much lately. So I found some things to watch. So that's nice. That's good. Um, one more thing I wanted to bring up before we get into our main topic today. Um, as we know, going through this whole pandemic, um, movie theaters and movie studios have had to adjust. They've had to, you know, go through hoops and try to figure out how the hell to have a business like the movies in the middle of a pandemic. And the latest and arguably the biggest move to happen so far is Disney moving Pixar Soul. Pixar Soul is no longer going to theaters in the United States. Um, it is coming to Disney Plus in you know, areas that don't have all their theaters open, you know, mm-hmm. or to something to that effect. And it's going to be, it's not going to be like Mulan where you pay 30 bucks to have like the premium access for Mulan. This thing is just going to be part of your Disney plus subscription on, uh, on Christmas day, December 25th of this year, you'll be able to watch soul with your Disney plus subscription. Um, and this is an interesting, move because you know soul 
not to say that it, Soul was going to be like the triumphant return of the movies or anything like that, but this was a movie that I knew a lot of people were looking forward to, you know, and it was something, you know, that they were promoting at D23, and that for a while, up until Regal said that they were going to temporarily, you know, they were going to close their theaters again, yeah. they were holding firm that Soul was going to get a theatrical release. So now, and this was originally supposed to come out, I think, June. It was supposed to come out in June of this year. Um, now it's coming to Disney Plus. And yeah. I know you shared an article about this. Yeah, um, I haven't read it yet, but I know it's from Variety. A lot of, the, you know, defeated feelings... I guess they're upset because Disney Plus isn't available in other markets. Okay. The way it is here, I guess, maybe is the thing. Again, I just again I have not read the article, so I don't know the whole story. Well, that's the thing with a lot of these like some of these streaming services, I don't think people often realize this, but you know, with Mandalorian, for example, I I know a good uh, mutual friend of ours. I think it's a, I think he didn't have Disney Plus at the time we did. You know, cuz we got Disney Plus November 12th of last year some some places didn't get it till earlier this year honestly so the and that meant people having to avoid spoilers and things like that and it, you know that part's annoying but ultimately this is just the, the latest domino to fall as far as a major this is a major release it's a pixar movie any pixar feature like movie is a major major release it's like know? what it's a 150 million dollar budget something like that probably at least bare minimum 150 million dollars i wouldn't be surprised if it was higher but and this was something that the studio i think was excited about but i think one of the big things too is that if they put this out in theaters in november okay because that was i think the last like change date that they had it was like november mm -hmm. of, of this year it, it would not have done well because there's still movie theaters in the country that are not open, particularly in um, in L.A. and New York, especially, you know, the two biggest film going markets of the whole country. Yeah. You know, even to the point where we were hearing like the theater, like a, I think the like NATO, like the movie theater, North American Theaters Association, whatever it was that they were saying that, you know, they sort of blame Cuomo and blame New York for basically what is going on, which. Yeah. You know, I, I have I have thoughts on that, but it's just like, look, it's everyone's just trying to figure out the best approach to the way things are. And I mean, that's the whole that's the whole basis for why Soul's even going on Disney Plus, because they're just trying because like Mulan, you know, two hundred million dollar movie, thirty dollar price tag on a what six ninety nine dollar streaming service like th there was hopes that that would work out. And it made like what, 60 something million dollars just from that something it's like if 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 that yeah whatever it was because i know there was an initial estimate beforehand and then that estimate was they interpreted the data wrong apparently yeah. so it made a lot less than that number disney wished it made that much let's just put it like that <laughs> right now again everyone's just trying to figure out the best approach for everything i mean tenant was tenant is one of those movies that just that approach was just bad regardless and it paid for it by i mean not really i mean it made money overseas because things are better over there than they are in america but at the same time here it's made like nothing and it got topped with a new movie like that like war what was it war uh grandpa the war with grandpa war with grandpa with robert De Niro. yeah that got like it got topped in a second because there was something new 
in the theater that pe- like for people that are going to the movie theater theaters right now could go watch. So I mean, it's just there's not there's no at th- this point there's nothing that's working per se. Yeah, I don't think these things these things are probably not going to normalize. I imagine until ne- I mean, again, I'm 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 not an expert. I don't have a crystal ball, but it's just the guesstimate of some guy in a basement right now. Things won't get normal. I don't think until like the the second ha- the the the, ha- the latter half of next year. Mm-hmm. As far as movies, I'm not talking about anything else. And again, this is just a guess. You know, don't quote me on anything. This is just ha- the way the way things are looking. Mm-hmm. Moving off of Soul, well, actually, sort of continuing off of Soul because this Soul is a movie that, of course, deals with the afterlife and what happens to your soul. It's a nice way to tie into our first film of our double feature cycle this week, the 1962 film Carnival of Souls. Carnival of Souls. Sorry. (laughs) Just felt like getting experimental there. (laughs) For whatever reason, when I was typing Carnival of Souls, one time I I typed Carnibarn of Souls (laughs) at one point. Uh, just type a straight up typo because V and B are so close to. I, I don't know. It was weird. Carnival of Souls. <laughs> I was I was gonna say Carnivore. Kind of sounds like one of those um like uh what is like surplus type stores or whatever that sells carnival materials for your like like here's this cheap uh popcorn maker. <laughs> uh, would you like a <laughs> cotton candy machine? We have five. It's like a surplus carnival like um supply store <laughs> or something. Carnivore. Yeah. If that if that it does become a business, I I, I do expect uh, some residuals on that one, some a uh, little bit of payment on that, and Joey as well because you came up with the name. Yeah, we'll, we'll um, our people will be in contact with your people, but no, Carnival of Souls, nineteen sixty two horror movie, super super low budget movie. It's like th- three was it th- almost basically three hundred thousand dollars or th- three yeah three hundred thousand dollars right something like that. Well. On Wikipedia, which I don't know how accurate it is, but on Wikipedia it says the budget was $33,000. That was close. <laughs> <laughs> I was so close. There was a three. Uh, but And an extra zero. But this was made by uh, Herc Harvey. Uh, he, di- he directed this film. And you were talking about this while we were watching the movie. Did he, mi- did he, did he make other movies? Just to... From what I've read, this is the only movie he had like a he had like a uh, a production company I think that he like worked on. But as far as like him as a director, I th- I think this is the only movie he's directed. Interesting, that is interesting. He died in like the nineties, and I think it's like he died like years later because this came out in sixty two, and he died in I think the nineties. Wow! So he just never bothered to make anything else. I think he was just like. Yeah, I'm cool with this. And it's also interesting to note, too, that this movie, you were talking about this, this was a film that was released as a double feature with uh, The Devil's Messenger, so ties back into what we talk about here, double features. But this movie deals with a young lady, an or- this organist lady, who's kind of, I guess, like, socially distant, not in the physical sense, but more the emotional sense, if that makes any sense. (laughs) She's what, you could say she's, like, socially awkward, a little bit shy, kind of paranoid about things. Yeah, she just, she just has no interest in, like, being with other people. 
you know, and as far as like a larger community um, setting. Yeah. And a lot of it, because she does have a bit of a traumatic past because she was in a really bad car accident with a bunch of her friends who were um, being irresponsible and drag racing. Kids, do not drag race. Do not speed. Bad things happen. You would have thought they learned after watching Rebel Without a Cause, but no, we had to we had to watch Carnival of Souls as well to attempt to get that message through everybody's heads. And it's still not in their heads. So what do we have to watch now? Yeah, we gotta we gotta figure out the next next film uh, to help us out with that. We gotta we gotta do this. <laughs> so this was shot in black and white, and you know, of course, I, I think part of that is like a necessity thing because black and white when you're shooting on film, black and white. It's a cheaper way of doing things, especially when you talk about color back in the day, you would have had to have multiple strips of film and it would have been wild. It would have been very wildly expensive uh, to do that. But you were it was interesting because we were talking about this with, with this movie, how it's interesting to watch a movie like compared to movie something like a movie made today. And they, they might choose to be stylistically like that. Whereas this movie might not have had a choice because of the budgetary concerns. I remember we were kind of briefly going over that i mean it, it kind of tied in a little bit to the whole um because like you know we talk about how movies are like a time capsule you know they you know movies reflect you know so obviously movies you know try to you know be something from the past every now and then you know depending on what the story is but um a lot of movies are re are reflective of the time periods they're made in um, even from like a most basic standpoint. So like this movie's made in 1962. So everything, because that's just how it looked at that point, looks like 1962. But because of the way that it all plays out, or because of the way everything is, it almost, like, and because we've grown up with like period movies where they are like, you know, trying, trying to look like, you know, the 60s or the 50s. It's just, it's kind of weird to watch it and go, that's actually like what they looked like. <laughs> like that's legit. Um, and and it's because you think like when you watch like a movie that tries to dress it up as if it was that time period, and yet like this movie looks just like those movies, and yet this is how it was. Like it was a weird like kind of like like I guess you could say uh, moment like watching the movie, just going wow. And that's one of the like the striking things too. Like with the, the I think the black and white cinematography really adds um to, to the atmosphere and and helps um it, it helps i i think with with the story the story of dealing with like ghosts and uh the afterlife you know when she's being stalked by by, by the weird weird looking man which is also played by herc harvey interestingly enough <laughs> it, it, i can't imagine that being in color you know i think having it with the, with the black and white and having ha having it shot shot like that really, I think, captures that atmosphere and uh, mood. Like the way this movie is shot, I'm, I'm trying to say overall, like it's a beautifully shot movie. There are some really just great moments. Like I, even just like things that aren't like intentionally scary. Like the, one of the some of the shots of inside the church, you know, where it's just like it looks like the, the pieces of the organ or, or whatever, like the altar, whatever, are very tall. And, you know, um, or of course, any of the scenes where she's trying to escape from the, uh, from the, the creepy guy, not the creep, not the human creepy guy, but the, the ghoulie creepy guy. <laughs> there it, listen, on that note, 
I don't know who was worse in this movie, the the ghost, the ghoul or whatever that's haunting her, or her freaking neighbor. <laughs> that guy was horrible. Yeah, that dude, that dude, that dude's weird, and I was saying this to you, he feels like the kind of guy that would, would have done finger guns, he would have been like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, Saturday. Like, hey, you wanna go drinking with me? You wanna go uh, dancing? Maybe a little bit of... Dude is such a jerk. <laughs> He's such a... Listen, for those of you who have never seen the movie, just understand, this guy, like, it's not even that he was just a jerk, he's an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's an absolute piece of crap. Like, first he, like, creeps on her when she's, like, um, especially, like, the first time he sees her, like, she, she happens to open the door with her towel on. And, and and she, like, backs away when she notices that it's not her landlord or whatever. And he creeps his way through the crack of the front door just to get a better look. And he's, like, clearly staring at her. And it's just so uncomfortable. And then, like, anytime he feels like he's getting called out for being a creep, he has to be like, you got the wrong impression of me, babe. That's not me, babe. <sighs> oh, my God. And, he, and, and then, like, the worst part is, too, like, anything about her he, like, absolutely criticizes. Or, like, if, if he's, like, not appreciated. Like, he's the worst. He's literally the worst type of dude ever. And it's, like, every time he shows up and his stupid, like, creepy smile, I just want to punch him in the face. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Pace of crap. Just go, just going back to, like, the what like the, the environments and the way this movie is shot. Like, I'm thinking about, like, the pavilion that she is drawn to throughout the, the movie. And it's such, a, like, a perfect, like, it's a perfect, like, setting because... It's a, it's like this abandoned place and has like this almost like, like you said, it fits in with the carnival of souls, of course. Um, but it's, it's, it's almost like garish to look, to look at. It's almost like really like out of place with the rest of the environment, you know, it's just something is just fishy yeah. going on in there. Um, and I love the shots where they're driving past it and you just kind of see it in the distance. It's super like. Like you said, yeah, it's super out of place. Like, just the way that the the whole pavilion is even designed. And that it just, like, it clearly sticks out as something that is just this really weird building. And then when she gets there and she's, like, exploring it, it's, it's like, it's like it's been abandoned for years almost, you know? <laughs> mm. Like, they did a great job in, like, kind of dressing. Because wasn't the pavilion, like, it, it's not, like, something they built, because obviously they didn't have any money. Like, it's just something that was there to begin with. Yeah, I, I imagine it was just there, and they were like, oh, we could use this. And that's, like, that goes into, like, you know, just low-budget filmmaking. Just, you know, take what you have yeah. and just make the make the best of it, really. And they really, this is one of those cases where they really do make the best of it. It's, like, it's a very beautifully shot movie. I think the atmosphere is quite effective, um... I love, I just, even just, like, the mundane scenes that you think, like, one of the scenes, like, when she's in the doctor's office, mm -hmm. you know what scene I'm talking about, and the the chair's turned around, and it feels like, <laughs> he comes out, and she's like, ah! <laughs> and she's just, like, comes at the camera, just, ah! But the, the way, like, you are talking about, like, the way the movie's shot, like, I'm watching this, and I think, there's a, because we're watching the Criterion Blu-ray of this, which is, like, what, spine number 63, and the... The crazy thing about it is that, you know, we talk about how, like, you know, earlier we were talking about how it feels like, like those movies that make themselves look like they're from the 60s. Part of that is because, first off, the movie's shot in a, in a kind of, like, cool, somewhat modern way that a lot of movies feel like they're shot today, whereas, like, a lot of movies during that time used a lot of sets, 
very few exterior shots, um, kind of like they were shot like sitcoms in a way, with like just that kind of one like direction kind of situation, um, not the band. <laughs> um, and uh, also the restoration job on the Blu-ray is probably one of the best that I've seen. Like I, like, I remember the first time we watched it, and my my initial reaction was. This was this was made like three years ago. Don't lie to me. This wasn't sixty two. <laughs> this was made like like at the very least twenty fifteen. That's how good it looked. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's man, and, and I it oh, the funny thing is though I would also say too that I've my exposure to this movie was through the Blu Ray, so I don't know what this looked like the state of this was before. I'm sure. That because it was like a cult title and maybe for a long time was probably neglected because it was one piece of a double feature or whatever. Mm-hmm. That they they might not have had like the best prints to work with for a while or whatever. Um, and as we said, this was spine number 63 for the Criterion Collection. Which if you don't know, Criterion's gone through over a thousand. <laughs> they just reached a thousand last year. They reached a thousand last year with Godz- with the Godzilla set. Um, but it, it really, it, it does look, the restoration job is beautiful and just really highlights the beauty of the photography of that movie. I like, I think about the scenes where, where you see like the ghoul, like in the water too. I, I think about those shots. I think about like the scene, the shots where like all the ghouls are dancing in that pavilion. Like they're, they're just so properly haunting or anybody like going towards the camera, you know, there's quite a bit of that a couple moments of that in this movie and yes we were pointing out it was it was pretty effective when those ghouls were going cha- like chasing her and they're running towards the camera you're like oh that's a little uh ooh. it's it i think it's the same kind of effect that was used in like the in like halloween and like john carpenter's halloween movie where like michael myers would just be walking towards or even more recently and have you seen it follows no i haven't seen it follows it's a very good movie and uh, I suggest it's a movie we do for our double feature at some point with another one. I don't know what, but we'll, I want to do it because it's we'll it's figure just, it out. Just an excuse to watch it. But essentially, in that movie, um, a lot of the shots are people just walking towards a camera very slowly, like almost like these creepy, like out of place people just walking towards a camera, and it's super terrifying, especially when it's like a still shot and the camera's just there. Like, you want the camera to back out so that, like, you know, the person doesn't get any closer, but the camera's just sitting there, and the person's coming closer, and there's nothing you can do, and you can't move away, and it's so effective, because it just puts you in that, like, kind of, oh my god, something's coming, like, ah! It puts you in that mindset when you watch it, especially, like you were saying, at least, especially in Carnival Souls, when you're talking about, like, um, there's one scene specifically when Herc Harvey... Uh, as the like ghoul character is like walking towards he's walking you know kind of quick in pace but he comes towards the camera and you're like dude back up back up yeah it's one of those things where it's like we don't need 3d that's good enough (laughs) could you imagine if they made this movie in 3d like i would poop i would poop my pants oh i I would just leave the theater (laughs) i would just i would be too scared to move him like (laughs) like bye-bye like joey where are you going (laughs) so no but we've been talking a lot about the photography the score uh in this movie done by gene moore is is very good Mm -hmm. the organ with the organ you know which fits in because our character she is uh she plays the organ you know at the church yeah and it's not like intense organ music either like it's very like 
quiet, haunting organ music. Hmm. Let's see. So, you know, back in its initial release, um, it wasn't... Um, the critics didn't really pay attention to this one. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a classic case of, you know, initially, yeah, most people were like, whatever, they didn't pay attention. And then later on, uh, specifically back in 1989, when they started, like, screening this in, like, in the Halloween season in, like, art house theaters and things like that it started to gain like a cult following and even to the point where um i know i, I pointed this out to doubt to you but this has a riff tracks this has a riff tracks um and it had like a like you know one of those like fathom events things like carnival souls riff tracks like you could see it at a theater i i remember i remember like going to the, going to the movies and seeing that playing on the tvs um by like the concession stand and like, like I was like, oh my god, Carnival of Souls! Like I thought they were just playing Carnival of Souls, and it said riff tracks. So I was like, oh, I just wanted to watch the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I got riff tracks, I just wanted to watch the movie. When did it come to the Criterion Collection? Because it's it's Spine sixty three, so like like it was one of the super early editions in uh, two thousand. Okay, because I remember because I remember when um the first time I watched it because you were sharing it with me because um. You know, as as I've mentioned on the show before, you're much more into the Criterion Collection and like kind of steeped in that than I am. And you were talking to me about this movie because uh, I think you bought this and Cat People and then another movie like at the same time or something, like as like as a pre order. And um, this was this was one of the movies that I had um, seen during the big Criterion sale that I was like, I remember Joey telling me about this, and it and it and it. He was telling me that it, you know it was kind of a horror movie, and that's like my my entryway in any one of those kind of like restoration type companies or like anything like that. Where like I want to see what kind of like the boutique labels. Yeah, I want to see what kind of like scary movies they have. So um, with Criterion, that's like the first thing I tried to do was find like all the different horror movies. So that was one of them that I picked up, and um, we watched it together. And my initial reaction outside of um, just being reminded of like Tim Burton, like I, it's just which is just an in general thing for me, as we know on the show. Um, it uh, just I was really impressed by the restoration of it, and I was and I actually ended up really liking this movie. Like I was like this, I I really dig it. Yeah, I think it's um it's definitely good, like nice, like spooky Halloween viewing. You know, um, if you're just looking for some something like that's really just packed with like the atmosphere and something that's just quick. I like that this thing is like less than 80 minutes long. Yeah, it's it's short. You know? it's super short. There's also uh, apparently there's also like an 84 minute uh, director's cut too. Is that does that come on the Blu-ray? I don't know. I didn't see one because I think. The only special feature, any like addition I remember, is like there's like an interview with like a comedian or something. Yeah, the, I'll have to look into that because I know I think it, it says it on here that the the Criterion set featured the the 84 minute director's cut, mm-hmm. which is interesting. I don't know what what you would add to it, but I, I'd be very curious to um to look into that. Oh, for sure. Um, just, just, just to see what, what in fact is different. Um, but ultimately I think this is just really like, as we kind of saying before, like if you're like, you're looking to make like low budget movies, you know, just find, find what you have and just, you know, kind of make the best of it. And you, you might be surprised with the product that you end up with. I mean, that's, that's what I'm familiar with from like the few short films that I've made. It's just, 
you know, the, the, the approach of the story is more or less just figuring out what I could do. Because, like, you know, it's it sucks to be limited. Ultimately, it sucks to, like, you know, be like, okay, well, this is all I can do in this particular situation. But it also feels like a welcoming challenge. And, like, okay, can I construct a cool enough, like, a story to fit around, like, this particular situation or this particular um, type of scenario. So, like, um, uh, one one of my short films we filmed in, like, a downtown city area, and I've talked about this a little bit, and, uh, you know, it's just, it was something that's available, and so we were, we were able to make it work, and um, also just filming in my neighborhood or um, making a movie at my friend's house, you know, again, just, just making making do with what you have and, you know, it, again, it, it could feel limiting because it's it's holding off on like the possibility of like really like letting your imagination go and just doing something really truly crazy and fun on film. But it's also like again a welcoming challenge to come up with something worthwhile and make it work. And I don't know. I mean, I like most of what I've made, so in that regard, I'm happy <laughs> with with the turnout. Um, so. I, I, I definitely relate to that. Though I did not have $33,000. I had $0. <laughs> I've, I've, never, I've never had a budget outside of like a $10 purchase of uh, corn syrup and red dye. <laughs> oh my gosh. And like a snack for myself because $10 is a lot of money. Oh man. If you, listen, if you need cheap props for something, go to a Dollar Tree. Or like some kind of dollar store, because you'll find anything at a dollar. Like you could find like a, a cheap cap gun that you can spray paint and use as like a pistol for like a for like a gangster type thing. Like it works, especially when like this time of year when like Halloween stores are around or like Party City, which is always open, um, just gives you that opportunity to like really check stuff out. So right, yeah. It's nice. It's 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 worth it's worth uh, doing stuff like that. Well, with that said, we're gonna take a brief intermission and uh, you know kind of hang out in a pavilion, dance around for a bit. Yeah. But uh, in the meantime, while you're waiting for us, you can listen to the latest installment, the latest spooky, eerie, terrifying, and maybe funny installment. I haven't listened to it yet. Of two dudes, one bad night. Stay tuned. All right, I, I think he's getting further away. All right, come on, let's go. Okay, we need a plan. Just think, 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 think. Well, I never wanted think, to leave think, my cathedral. Think, think, Richard, think. think. Can't think with all this ambient forest noise. Joey, do you have a plan? Oh, thank you for asking. I actually have several. <clears throat> Make hot dogs flat so they can fit more easily inside hamburger buns. Oh, wait, this one's better. We could petition the government to take seatbelts out of cars and let nature take its course. Or we could make tin cans square so they could be stacked more efficiently inside trash bins. Oh my god, we're gonna die out here. I can't believe this is happening to me. Richard, my poor friend, your nerves are so jumpy-wumpy. Your poor little heart has gone bumpy-wumpy. Just whistle this tune, and I think you'll agree that things are not nearly as bleak as they seem. Did you jack that from Dr. Seuss? Stop waxing lyrical right now! Okay, look, 
I'll take the lead here. Just leave it to me and I'll sniff out the safest place in the forest. Smells like a... Smells like a carnival! Carnival? Joey, have you forgotten? We're in the middle of the woods in Booger Hole, West Virginia! The closest thing to a carnival is the freaking pony by the liquor store! My sniffers never snuffed wrong, and right now it's sniffing a carnival. If we just perambulate with alacrity in a northwesterly direction, we should come upon... See? What did I tell you? Looks like we're coming into some open country. There it is! It's a happy, fun time carnival! I'm gonna ride the teacups, then the Joey, get wheel, back! And then the Mary wait! Bear, wait! The Come back! Wait a minute! Look, dude, this whole thing doesn't seem legit right now. There's no one here. Well, it is like 2.57 in the morning, so it stands to reason. Come on! Oh my god, this place is freaking creepy. So ominous. Wait. Joey! Oh boy, oh get boy, back oh here boy. now! Oh Alright, hold oh hands. Boy. Joey, hold my hand. Oh man! The Ferris wheel is locked up. And there's no one at the deep fried butter stand or the candy apple stand. Oh well, at least there's a guy up there at the circus tent. Maybe he'll unlock the rides and deep fry some butter for us. It's a clown. Of course it's a clown. It's always a clown. Boys and girls, and watch Christo the Chainsaw Clown juggle 20 chainsaws on the high wire. Step right this way to my Chainsaw Circus. Chainsaw Circus? Oh boy. That'll be 50 bucks. 50 bucks? To watch Christo the Chainsaw Clown juggle 20 chainsaws on a high wire? That's right. A show like that should be viewed for no less than $75. Take it or leave it. As you wish. Thank you, my good man. Joey, get back here! Your friend has already entered the Chainsaw Circus. If you want to go in after him, it'll be 75 bucks. You just said it was 50! Your friend drives a hard bargain. Listen, man, my friend has a cathedral. He'll hook you up. Okay, 25, 35, 36. Do you accept skee-ball tokens? Okay, okay, fine, here. Go on in. It smells a lot like the back of a potato truck in here. Hey, Richard! There's only one seat left! It's got your name on it! Like, literally! Your name is carved into the seat! There sure are a lot of people in here for a 3 a.m. chainsaw clown show. Oh, excuse me, ma'am. Sorry, sir. Oh my god, I kicked this guy's leg off! Sit down! This guy's dead! Everyone in here is dead! They're all dead! They're not dead! They're captivated by Christo, the Chainsaw Clown! Ladies and gentlemen, prepare to be amazed, for Christo, the Chainsaw Juggling Clown, will risk his life tonight on the high wire for your entertainment. Oh my god! Look at me when I'm talking. For years, this death-defying act has scared away even the most experienced Chainsaw Clowns. All but Christo have tried and failed to recreate this performance. These are the bodies of the cops that Bieber killed! God, this whole room is full of Bieber's bodies! Oh, wow. Now I know why they call him the hardest working man in show business. Listen, if the officer's bodies are here already, then Bieber got here first. Bieber and the clown are totally in cahoots! 
Joey, we need to leave right now before Christo kills us. Pay attention when I'm talking to you, you filthy animals. Do you think this is a joke? Is this funny? <laughs> Tonight, you lucky few in this audience shall witness me juggling. 20 chainsaws on the high wire. <laughs> Joey, I think I'm hearing things. Boom! Gosh. I'm a ghost. You're an amazing ghost, Spectre, Allison. Oh, hey, guys. Mm -hmm. Look at her when she's spooking me. I can't believe this is happening. Okay, rookie. Notice I how I skipped all the theatrics and went straight to the spook. Oh, uh, yeah. Most ghosts will make the mistake of trying to set the victim up for a scare by moving a chair or breaking a mirror. Blah, blah, blah. I get the best results with a straightforward approach. Skip the chair, go straight for the scare. Got it. Thanks, Spectre, Allison. No problemo, rookie. I'm going to be the best ghost I can be, Spectre Allison. Joey, that's it. We're done. I believe it. I'll need a volunteer from the audience. Ah, here we have a volunteer. Step forward into the light. No, you freaky painted piece of crap. You ain't coming near me. For my first trick, the iron doors will block the exit. Ah, help! Oh, no! Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Observe as Christo easily no, overpowers his assistant no, and straps no. him to the operating oh. table. Help! Behold, Christo sterilizing his magnificent chainsaw so as not to cause infection. Good thinking, Christo. Disgusting! You're doing great, Richard. Watch in amazement as Christo the chainsaw clown severs the leg from the body. Oh. <laughs> oh, my leg! Wow, so realistic. Attaboy, Richard. Whoa, yikes. Hey, kid. Yes, officer? My gun is still in my holster. You better kill the clown and save your friend. Kill Christo? Oh, okay. <laughs> cool beans. Now you need to get to the hospital before Potato Boy kicks the bucket. Dead right, Spectre Allison. Another good one, rookie. Okay, listen. Our patrol car is parked behind the Ferris wheel. The keys are in the ignition. Hurry! Save Potato Boy! <laughs> Hey, Richard, I know where the patrol car is. Unstrap me now! Let me at him! Wow, I never knew you were so good at hopping. Okay, Cloud, listen up. We know you're in cahoots with Beaver. What are you guys planning? He told me not to kill you. He told me to keep you entertained until he was ready for you. But no one escaped Crystal and his chainsaw. He's coming. Joey, give me the gun right now. Give it to me. Die, Clown! <laughs> Whoa, dude, just, just calm down and have some deep-fried butter. I'm gonna give you a little bit of deep-fried revenge! <laughs> Richard, my poor friend. Your nerves are so jumpy-wumpy. Your poor little... Joey. Oh! Beaver's coming. Get my leg! Let's get the heck out of here! Once I get this stump fixed, I am gonna find Beaver and I am gonna chop his face off! I'm chainsawing my way out of this! The car's over here now! Get it! Shouldn't the bipedal human specimen be the one operating the vehicle? Joey, look, look at me! Look at me! I'm the driver now! I'm gonna kill Justin Bieber. Man, I didn't even get him? to ride the teacup. I'm gonna kill him. Well, at least we have my. What is that? Where's my leg? 
Oh, I thought you meant Officer Drew's leg. My bad, dude. Look on the bright side. You could be a pirate for Halloween. Arg. <laughs> That's it. I'm done. We're leaving. Can we get some Chicky McNuggies? They have Chicky Nuggies at the hospital. And we're back. I saw your mouth. <laughs> I looked over and I saw you do it. <laughs> That's always amusing to me now. I'm sorry. It's just fun. Oh. But we're back now. We're back. <laughs> back in the New York group. Dun, 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 dun. We're back. Uh, good. Good. Nice. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Anyways, welcome back to Two Dudes. One double feature. Again, how fun is that uh, little radio drama? Uh, we will, um, uh, at some point, we are planning to piece all of them together and release it as one continuous, like, radio drama. So, I don't know how where we're going to put it, um, but stay tuned for that. Yeah, we'll, we'll keep you guys posted on that. Uh, definitely very excited about it. Definitely shout out to John and everybody who's been working on these uh, for the last while, uh, fantastic work. Now, we talked about Carnival Souls, in which, um, you know, kind of deals with the afterlife and kind of the, uh, like, I guess you could say the, the beginnings of the afterlife, I guess you could say. With Beetlejuice, our next double feature from 1988, it deals with afterlife in a very different way so let's get into it <laughs> yeah so carnival of souls I, I would say is more of a straight up is more of a straight up horror movie yeah and it deals with the spookiness and how creepy and terrifying it is you know dealing with the concept of ghosts and the afterlife whereas beetlejuice is much more about the mundane but also at the same time the absurdity of the undead like you have scenes where our two main characters, played by Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin, are recently deceased, and to deal with their problems, they have to go to like an like a, an afterlife like um like DMV, like, uh, like DMV <laughs> or, or like you know so like afterlife like social worker, you know, and they have to fill out paperwork. It's there's a lot of bureaucracy in the afterlife. Oh, you don't have an appointment, and it's like they have to pull like a number, like they're at like a deli line or, or something. It's just more annoying. It's more <laughs> of an inconvenience to deal with ghosts in the afterlife than it is like scary. Oh yeah, you know, in this case, <laughs> it's literally like there's a um, one of the best scenes in the movie is the the Maitlands, uh, Alec Baldwin and Gene Davis are going into like the this like waiting room, this lobby or whatever, and you see all these dead people just. Like in the who've died by the way who all who've all died seemingly horrific deaths whether like a dude choking on a chicken bone that's stuck in his neck to the point where it's protruding out of his neck or someone burned burned to death because they fell asleep in bed smoking or someone had a snake in their um uh, sleeping bag a woman was chopped in half but they're all just chilling and waiting for you know whatever appointment that they have. And uh, they're all reading their uh, manuals for or handbooks for the recently deceased, and uh, it's it's insane. So like I like you look at that scene, and you're like, wow, 
<laughs> this is wild. There's even a point in the, in the movie too where you know, like Winona Ryder's character is just like, no, I, I want to be, with, I want to be with you guys. You know, Winona Ryder feel like like she could relate more to like Gina Davis and the Alec Baldwin ghosts, but Gina Davis is like your problems aren't solved because you're dead. <laughs> it's just worse at this point. <laughs> it's like it's like a really it's like a much more like worse version of purgatory. Yeah. But it also makes me think like how do you get employed? Like <laughs> like you know you have um that like um pageant worker who slit her wrists who's working the front desk. You have all these skeletons. You have a dude that hung himself who's like has to like he's like the mail office kid or something that's passing out papers a dude that's like got ran over so he's like flat like a cartoon and um their caseworker played by sylvia sydney who uh was is great in this movie um she had her throat slit but uh she like she smokes a cigarette and the like smoke comes out of her neck it's just like it just makes you wonder like what what is the qualification to get you a job yeah. In this situation. Right. It's, it, I, I have questions. Yeah, it's I need a, answers. Not that they're important, but... <laughs> just One of my favorite things was when uh, Beetlejuice is reading the newspaper for, for like, the you know, for ghosts, basically. And there goes to the obituary and is like, we welcome... Uh, <laughs> we welcome this family. <laughs> but, no, just... The way that they... The way that they build out the whole like afterlife which has i guess it was retroactively named in like other adaptations and other things related to beetlejuice is the netherworld but they they never they never really call it that in the movie because i think the movie is just the afterlife yeah which is fine i think it, it it works just as well uh the way that they build the whole world of the afterlife is is actually kind of cool like it's it's obviously mundane and like it's very bureaucratic but it you know obviously it makes me think of like brazil which is also a very bureaucratic, but like even with the the mundane stuff, there's still a lot of outlandish um, imagery. Sorry to interrupt you. You know, like, like with um, like I was thinking about like the waiting room. Like you have like a guy with a shrunken head, <laughs> you know, who, who's waiting, and it's just like he's just kind of bored. It's not. It's not like he's going ah. It's just kind of like okay, I'm waiting, I'm waiting him. This little shrunken head. <laughs> And like like the like it's funny to think that typical haunted house movies like people react a certain way like if they see a ghost or like oh my god but this movie like it's so different in like the way that like it treats the haunted house kind of story so like for for one it's from the perspective of the ghosts which normally when you see something like that it's more like depressing and sad like to come to that realization of like oh i'm dead like they do that in in a um, haunting of Bly Manor in a couple episodes where characters are kind of coming to the realization of being like, oh my god, I'm actually not alive. And it's like kind of sad. It's like kind of depressing. But in this, it's more just like with the ghosts, like they're 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 sad, but they're just like, well, let's just, just try to make the best of it, I guess. <laughs> and um and then like the people that interact with the ghosts that come into the house are not scared at all. Yeah. And they're just like in fact when they come to, when they come to the point where they actually find like they actually start to believe and find out that their house is in fact haunted instead of being scared and running away, they look at it as a marketing opportunity. <laughs> like, oh my god. We could be the new Disney World. <laughs> we have an insect museum. They have like all these like expansion plans. 
that they're they're gonna do to the whole town <laughs> and and have like a wax museum and what and whatnot it, it's uh it, it's it's kind of wild and they're like oh man it's <laughs> it, it's just really fu- funny <laughs> it almost like it almost retroactively feels like like an unintentional commentary on what disney does with tim burton to begin with <laughs> <laughs> you know it's like at first they're like dude you're too creepy get out you're fired we don't want you here and then years later he becomes successful like hey remember remember that nightmare before christmas thing what was it is that what it was called it's not that i was looking at it or anything you know it's just sitting on a shelf just collecting dust you know do you think maybe you want to make that we could do that <laughs> and he's like i can't direct it I'm, I'm busy like oh no that's fine it's fine. We'll just, you know, just, it's fine. Just slap your name on it. That's all we want. That's all we want is the name. <laughs> I just imagine Michael Eisner in the 90s just, like, going like that. Like, we just want it. We just need the name. We just want the name. Give me the name now. <laughs> you were pointing this out to me, too, with uh, with Tim Burton. That this wasn't... Like the concept of Beetlejuice, this wasn't like his, like a, like one of his stories. No, he's. I mean, he's he hasn't made a lot of original movies, admittedly. Like he's made a lot of adaptations or remakes or reimaginations or whatever, but he's made a few original movies like Frank and Weenie or Edward Scissorhands. Um, but the thing with those movies is that those are his ideas that he came up with. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know Frankenstein tie-in, but either way, like it's it's a somewhat of original idea. With um with Beetlejuice, that was uh I believe it was a guy named Michael McDowell, mm-hmm. and he originally wrote the film to be like a gross out, grotesque, like horror, like body horror type movie, and it was going to be directed by Wes Craven, who at the time was mostly known for like Last House on the Left, which is a very violent movie. Like there was so many like the way that the script was, the way that the story was, well before Tim Burton and everyone else came involved in this movie. Was it was a very gross movie, a very grotesque movie. Um, in fact, uh, one like one 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 change like Beetlejuice, the character himself, like he's still like uh, like a pervert. He's still like reprehensible and disgusting and stuff. But originally in the script, um, he didn't want to get married to Lydia at the end of the movie. He originally just wanted to have sex with her, mm-hmm. which you know it's clear. Like not to say that you know one is different, but like it's a clear difference between like his initial plan like in the final product versus like just how they were initially going to go with it in that first iteration of it and then somehow down the line um tim burton after having made Wee's big adventure which is his very first movie and it worked out really well for him that's when he finally got a chance to be given scripts so he was given a bunch of scripts and someone handed him beetlejuice and he really like kind of i guess he connected with it to some degree or he like enjoyed it because it was original and and somewhat imaginative and the thing was he completely made it his own so like it's weird to think that at some point this movie was totally different until tim burton took over and literally just made it his so in a weird way like it's not his originally but it is his movie at the end of the day yeah, I was gonna say like it's one of those. I would almost argue one of those like quintessential like Tim Burton movies. And I think about like the aesthetic that we often think of with like Tim Burton and all that. When I go to like a Hot Topic and see like the Beetlejuice merchandise that's out or or whatever, I think you have to think of Tim Burton immediately. But it's it is interesting to bring that up with you know not was not initially his um, idea. Yeah, 
and it's um and and it does make me curious to see what Wes Craven, you know, may he rest in peace, would have done with that material because I he's I'm also a fan of him and his work. It definitely would have been much more straightforward horror film. But just like just to imagine like the different like more absurd like comedic elements of it and just thinking like how would this have been different? Is this like is this even like something that was originally there or is this something Tim added? Like it, it's a lot of curiosity around that. But also I want to point out too just because this thing is, you know, is less what it was originally supposed to be like the more like body horror or whatever like horror movie whatever you were bringing up before like Wes Craven movie I, it's it's still baffling to me that this movie is PG. Oh, oh my god, dude! It's um, it's funny to men- it's funny to mention that to anybody. Like, like, did you know Be- Be- Beetlejuice was PG? And they're like, really? Yeah, and and it's like before, like you you could like maybe figure out maybe it was because this was during that time when PG thirteen was still kind of fresh, but this was four years. Because this was 1988, this was four years after the first PG-13 movie came out, which was Red Dawn. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not that, it, it's not, it wouldn't have been like, if it came out the same year as Red Dawn, that would have been a whole other story, maybe. But like, this was four years after the existence of PG-13 was a thing, and it still didn't get a PG-13 rating, which I think, un- un- unfortunately, worked somewhat against it in the long run, because this movie... I'm going to tell you right now, this movie is not for children. No, no, no. It's not for children, and yet it is heavily marketed towards children, even to this day, in some degree. Yeah, I mean, I think about the cartoon. Yeah. The animated series, you know, for, for Beetlejuice. That was, like, my first exposure to it as a child. And, like, looking back on that now, like, people talk about, like, with Star Wars, how it's, like, kind of weird. You have, like, a space Nazi, like Darth Vader, walking around the parks and it's just like I, I almost argue it's even weirder with Beetlejuice, like this like yes. crazy like like you think about all the like the wacky like not just not to say wacky but like perverted things that he does and says in the movie and you're just like what? <laughs> but like no yeah like the weird perverted things that he does in the movie, and then just to see where that plays out you know in like the marketing and like the way like when people remember Beetlejuice they remember him fondly. Which is so weird to me. Yeah. Like, like not that, like, like he is an entertaining character. There's no question about that. And Michael Keaton being a huge uh, reason for it. But the thing is, he's disgusting. Very. <laughs> and the fact that he's marketed, like, a character like that is marketed to children with action figures, merchandise. Like, today, as, like, a nostalgia thing, you know, in certain, in certain uh, regards is a bit different. But the way he was back in the day, and, and and like I said, even to some degree, even today, the fact that you know there is like a a a market a marketed towards children thing just is so weird, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that the movie is PG. Yeah, I mean, because I was thinking back to when we went to Beetle House in New York, mm-hmm. uh, like the Tim Burton themed bar, really really cool place. Um, but. But they had like walk around like Beetlejuice and uh, the Corpse Bride, and was and I had, I hadn't seen Beetlejuice in years, you know. At that point, I I had only rewatched it earlier this year, honestly. But when Beetlejuice was approaching us and was like hanging out with us, basically, it was because I couldn't remember much outside of okay, Michael Keaton. He says Showtime or whatever. He goes crazy, whatever <laughs> cartoon, blah blah blah. But like how he was like he was sort of like like really like perverted. 
you know, he was, it was like, whereas like, we just came out of like the rain. He's like, oh, you guys are so wet or something like that. Is it because of me? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Points to, I will say points to that performer. He did a good job (laughs) and accurate. He did. He did. And I'm like, he was good anyway, but like after rewatching it, I'm like, holy cow, like that was a very accurate portrayal of that character, (laughs) which we got to bring up. We got to bring up Michael Keaton. Oh my God. Michael Keaton, like, listen, in case you aren't aware, listeners, Michael Keaton is like top tier, especially for me. And this was the year before he did Batman. So like, it's, it's funny to think that this character Beetlejuice is what, um, it's, and Side note, it's funny that this is our second Criterion-Tim Burton pairing and our second Michael Keaton-Tim Burton movie. But that's beside the point. Um, <laughs> uh, I just randomly thought of that. Um, but no, he, this this is one of those movies that really cemented him as at that time as like someone worth watching. It's like this and Night Shift and a few other movies. And he's so like good and he's so crazy in this movie. Like, while, you know, obviously when you look at uh, the character Beetlejuice and, like, he's perverted, disgusting, all this stuff, I a part of, I think, what makes the character, like, a character people are very entertained by and enjoy is Michael Keaton. Mm-hmm. Because he's, he's so good and he's clearly having so much fun being, like, and that's, like, some of the, like, I don't know if, like, I've always kind of felt some of the best actors, some of the coolest actors are actors that play villains. Because, like, you know, first off, it's already, like, shocking. Like, Lena Headey, who played such a reprehensible person in Game of Thrones, and then you see her in real life, she's so cool. Like, like she seems like one of the, like, one of those people that if you met in real life, like, it would be, like, so much fun. She'd be super nice. But you just know her as this, like, reprehensible, like, mean, piece-of-shit person. <laughs> and then, um, like, same with Michael Keaton playing this character, Beetlejuice, just being this, you know incredibly entertaining but very reprehensible character so like like there's a reason this this movie has i think a legacy and a lot of that i think has to do with michael keaton's performance no yeah absolutely um 110 percent. i just think about just like all, all of like the, the the lines that he's given like he has so many great lines and stuff just like when he's trying to figure out like trying to like uh when he's getting trying to get married to winona Ryder's character it's just like oh <laughs> man I, I said to myself i would only do this once um uh. <laughs> <laughs> or or um i always i always love when like he's doing the charades yeah <laughs> but he's like because he can't because as you know with beetlejuice as the legend goes you say the same three times we've said we said beetlejuice quite enough times i'm surprised he hasn't shown up but um you say his name three times he shows up but he can, he himself cannot say his own name so he's like he's like a rumpelstiltskin type th- type thing so he like he does a charades uh s- scene with uh, Winona Ryder with um, Lydia Lydia Dietz, another uh, iconic character made more or less because of Winona Ryder, but also I think the cartoon helped a lot as well. Mm. Uh, that's just a great scene, and also I love I love his resume scene when um when Alec Baldwin's like, "What are your qualifications?" You know, and he and he goes from like this voice that he does this like Beetlejuice like gruffy voice, and then he goes right into Michael Keaton. He's like, well, I attended Juilliard. I'm a graduate of Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I lived through the Black Plague. I did a pretty good time during that. <laughs> Just, it's it's amazing. <laughs> I love that. Whole oh, we had 167 times watching The Exorcist. It gets funnier every single time. <laughs> Do you think I'm qualified? 
Uh, oh, but the whole cast is actually, it's actually a really good cast in this movie. I think that's like one of the big, big strengths in the movie outside the visual stuff. Like, um, of course we mentioned Michael Keaton and Winona Ryder, but I think Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin, I think are really good Oh yeah, yeah in this yeah. movie as like this, this married couple. And you really do feel bad for their predicament, but they also like, they get into like the antics. You really do feel like that they love each other. Like when they're like trying to figure out what, what the hell they're doing and they look like, like weirdos in one scene, like one's got like their eyeballs in their mouth. The other one's got a really long nose. They're like, yes, have like these touching moments. Like it's, it's, it's points to this movie where they have a scene where they look like incredibly like creepy and obscure. And yet they have a sentimental moment. It's in, it's insane. And, um, it's still weird to me, and I mentioned this when we were watching. It's still weird to me that Alec Baldwin is in this movie. Like, I, I don't know why. It just I, when I when I picture Alec Baldwin, you know, I obviously I picture him like more recently, or like you know, in some of his older movies, um, Donald Trump, obviously because he plays Donald Trump a lot on SNL. But um, when I watch Beetlejuice, because like whenever I think of Beetlejuice, I I think of Gina Davis. I think of Catherine O'Hara. I think of Michael Keaton. I think of Winona Ryder. Alec Baldwin is, who's one of the biggest actors. I do not initially think of him at all. And then when I see, and every time I see him, he looks so different because his hair's lighter, like because he normally has like kind of darker hair. His hair's lighter. He's much, um, you know, not to sound mean, but he's much thinner. He's obviously a lot younger, and it's just so weird to see that because you're like, that's Alec Baldwin. What? <laughs> Yeah, and there's like certain lines that he says where you you could hear the Alec Baldwinisms, <laughs> but it was like at first you're like, okay, wow, this is wow, that's that's Alec Baldwin, wow, and it, it it's there you are, <laughs> what's up, man? <laughs> I didn't know you were in this movie. <laughs> so Danny Elfman did the music for this, right? Yeah, the fun fact about Danny Elfman, like Danny Elfman had never done like a track for or like a score for a movie because he was mostly known for um Oingo Boingo which was his band you know and weird science you know that whole thing <laughs> mm -hmm. and uh, it's a catchy song but it wasn't until like Tim did Pee Wee's Big Adventure that I think that was like his first kind of like real experience with um doing score for a score for a movie um, and like the, the score, the music for Be for Pee-wee's Big Adventure, I think is, is pretty iconic and to some degree in some sections, but I think same with Tim, I think Danny Elfman really got to let loose with this one for the score and the music is iconic, you know, like that, that, that music for Beetlejuice is, you know, amazing. Like, da, 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 da. like it's, it's a perfect kind of matchup and that it's kind of, it's kind of creepy, but it's like entertaining and boppy. And it, it really matches, like, the whole aesthetic of the movie. For sure. Yeah, this movie, it was a huge hit. It was a, it was a pretty sizable hit. You know, we were, uh, $15 million movie went on to gross over $70 million, I think, over, I don't know if it was domestic or overall, because I keep, on Box Office Mojo, they had $70 million domestic, and at point being, it was a hit. Yeah, it was a hit. Yeah, it made money. It made money enough that um, Warner Brothers... After two bankable hit movies with Tim Burton, gave him a big budget movie and he made Batman. Like it's it's it was that good. He was able to to make this this one movie and then make like a more or less completely original movie. And then they're like, oh okay, this guy's good. We'll give him we'll give him a a, a big budget. He can make Batman. It's fine. And and weren't they gonna make Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian? 
Was that <laughs> was that going to be a thing? Listen, there was there was a few sequel ideas, but that's the most prominent one is that they wanted to do a sequel where Beetlejuice went Hawaiian, and it's like, okay, <laughs> I don't, I don't know how you would do it. I don't know why you would do it, but okay, sure, Hawaiian. <laughs> so he can like he can like creep on like women who are like just doing the hula and he just like goes yeah <laughs> just like, it's like do we need that oh my it, it would have been um would have been interesting but outside of that i mean we have of course beetle house which is the tim burton uh tim burton inspired bar really cool location but also i know you specifically wanted to talk, talk about this and i think allison uh would be very pleased if we discuss this uh, the, there was a musical. Yeah. Like, who'd have thought? A musical. The, the Beetlejuice would score a musical. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 not even just any musical, like a, a Tony Award. Like, this this movie got nominated for a bunch of Tonys. Yeah. It did really well for itself. I don't know, like, as far as, like, ticket sales goes, but, like, it was Well, I know there was a point, basically, you know, that there was... I remember there was, like, before COVID. This was pre-COVID. Like, it was set to close at a certain point because of like contractual obligations with theater yes with like theater attendance and all that but it was a it was a popular enough show where people were like no i want this you know and they were hoping to move it to another theater i, I think afterwards because mm -hmm. it's at because it was at the because it was at the winter garden which is a pretty prominent theater i mean that had mamma mia had cats for a very long time you know big deal big deal place i hate to admit this but i watched a uh, a bootleg version of it because i don't live in new york I live I live eight hours away, and I don't. They're, they're, at that time, they didn't have a like a traveling version going to other states to play Beetlejuice at that point. So and they and they probably won't for some time, sadly. But um, I did. I, I I'll admit, I'm so sorry, Broadway gods. But I watched a bootleg of Beetlejuice, and I really liked it. Make sure if there's like a cast album, make sure you like buy it or something just to, you know. Oh, I bought it. I have oh, the you... cast album is on my phone. I listen to it constantly. All right, well that that helps. I did that first. All right, you know what that <laughs> that helps. Yeah, make sure at least they get some kickback of some kind. Yeah, because I because like I was it's desperation. I'm sorry. I I I I fully admit what I did was wrong, um, and what the person did by filming it was also wrong. But it was I I also put a lot of fault on myself. What I will say is this, I hope that that this inspires people to seek seek out the soundtrack, maybe give it give it a listen, you know. And if a production comes nearby when it's safe to go to a theater, maybe check it out. Yes. I the moment I hear Beetlejuice is coming, uh, if they decide to like do a do a play of it uh close to me, I'm going to see it no question asked cuz the the show is really good. First of all, um uh, Alex Brightman, who plays Beetlejuice, is very good. Great singing voice. Um, and funny enough, like I mentioned um, earlier, like they they still kind of market it. To, uh, they still kind of market Beetlejuice to kids. Uh, Beetlejuice makes an appearance on Teen Titans Go, voiced by Alex Brightman. That's pretty wild. It's so wild. Um, I hope he did good because I I I, I'm a, I I'll I'll check out a few clips if they're online. Sure, or like maybe I'll watch the episode if it's on. Uh, HBO Max or something, but the music itself is really good. Which the music, it's, the music was the part I was a bit worried about because the music is so iconic in the original movie that I was worried uh, how they were gonna do 
the the songs and everything in the musical but the songs are really really good mm. you know and like the way that they um and the way that they actually expand on the film because not, nothing against the movie but as far as plot is concerned like it's more it's more or less like a thinly layered plot which it's admittedly is typical for a lot of tim burton movies but there's not there's not like um uh like heavy like plot details there's like little things like they mention the fact that it's just the maitlands they don't have kids or anything maybe they had a kid because there's a picture of a baby on uh, a mantle so maybe they had one but Maybe the baby died or something. We don't know. Um, but in the musical, they expand on that in that um, this is a couple that uh, is kind of afraid to start a family. Or like they're kind of, um, you know, they don't know how, how they want to approach it. So that they put all of their time in like doing like uh, maintenance on the house or like, you know, building up the house a little bit and making it look better. Um, but then, of course, they die, unfortunately. And then they also expand Beetlejuice's character. Like, they still kind of keep him kind of like a pervert. But he's nowhere near as, like, reprehensible as Michael Keaton was. Right. And uh, But the way that they expand on it is actually pretty cool. Even expanding on the backstory of Lydia's mom. Because, you know, uh, Delia is her stepmom. As I don't know if it's ever fully mentioned in the movie, but she is... Lydia's stepmom mm. and so they kind of expand on that a little bit in the Broadway show so the the way that they expand the movie and add story and different plots they actually make fun fact they actually make spoiler alert Juno the caseworker Beetlejuice's mom that's interesting which yeah it's kind of an interesting like kind of plot twist to that but the musical um is was entertaining and uh I really like the music, and I like I said, I have it on my phone, so I listen to it periodically. Right. But it's crazy that this this movie has that kind of a legacy that it became a musical. I, don't know. I mean, th- granted, they've been adapting a lot of movies into musicals lately, haven't they? Or some kind of, like, stage shows on Broadway? Yeah, and I think a lot of that is just because it's expensive to create a stage production of something. And it's, you know, yeah, you could have something like, you know, or- original and, and vibrant and all that. But sometimes, like, listen, people want to see Spongebob on Broadway. Or, I mean, look, the longest running Broadway show is based on a book. Yeah. It's the Phan- Phantom of the Opera is the longest running Broadway show. It's based on a book that's had several movie adaptations. There's even been other musical um, adaptations of the Phantom story. So, you know, it, it's, it's kind of tricky to... Because a lot of things, people want to see a revival of something. Like, people want to see Hugh Jackman in The Music Man whenever we can see things safely. Or people want to be able to see, um, you know, Anastasia or King Kong. You know, King Kong didn't succeed, but they wanted to do it because people know what King Kong is, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's and also, that's just today's day and age. Like, you know, we see revivals of, like we were talking about with uh, the Blade Runner Mad Max episode. It's just people are very nostalgic for things and others like are very much banking on that. And there's so many like revivals of things on TV, uh, in, in the theaters, um, and various other places. And of course now on Broadway. Mm-hmm. So it just, it, to some degree, it makes sense that Beetlejuice would get a musical, but at the same time, it's also like Beetlejuice, the musical. Yeah. I'm down. Let's go. Right, let's do it. Also again, shout out to, um, uh, what what are the names? Alex Brightman and Sophie Ann Caruso, who play uh, Beetlejuice and Lydia in the Broadway show. They're they're by far uh, some of the best like performances 
as far as like stage stuff that I've seen. I really, really liked them. Especially, um, there's a song in the in, a, in the show called "Dead Mom," which is kind of like a it's kind of like a ballad, like a rock kind of ballad kind of thing. It's really cool. With both of these movies, I think you know the afterlife can be a touchy subject for people. Let's face it, especially especially during a time of uh, pandemic, it makes you th- think a lot about your mortality and things like that. Um, and what these two movies present, and also I would assume Soul. I haven't seen Soul. But they all present the afterlife in in really just in different ways, different tones. Like we talked about how th- this movie, uh, Beetlejuice in particular, deals with it in a very like weird, mundane, like absurdity, bureaucracy kind of way. Like om- almost like Brazil in certain situations. And then you have something like Carnival of Souls, which is more of a like a, a genuinely spooky, creepy atmosphere. But they can also be all ways to sort of cope with what we feel about the afterlife and all these things. It gives filmmakers and people like an outlet to, to cause we don't, cause ultimately like, you know, everyone has their own viewpoints, beliefs, and, and just general views on the possibility of an afterlife to begin with. And so it, it's a, it's a, it's a notion. It's an idea that gives filmmakers a lot of uh, creative, like freedom and, and a lot of uh, imagination can come into play. So it's cool that it's not like, you know, obviously most movies kind of stick to like the typical, like there's heaven, hell, you know, like Bill and Ted goes to heaven and hell and Bill and Ted too, you know, kind of thing. Or like movies like heaven can wait or something, you know? Um, but it's cool when, when a movie comes around that goes, well, this is actually what happens in the afterlife or this is, this is another way of looking at it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's just kind of a cool um, way to like really explore a different thing especially in like in uh, a horror movie or like i guess you could say a horror comedy uh type situation so i like i like that these these two movies explore that subject in a much more like entertaining not necessarily light-hearted at least with beetlejuice a little bit more light-hearted because it's a comedy but like in a way that um it has that kind of escapist feeling to it but like you can watch a movie like this now and not feel like oh god i'm gonna die you know it's a nice way to escape from things like how i how i sometimes need to escape from the reality that is brian from idaho sending me fan mail and and messages all the time why does he do that how did he get how do you have a p.o box you're not telling me about or something no i don't that's creepy that's that's really unnerving actually (laughs) he just happens to send you fan mail yet we don't have any kind of like way of getting to okay With, it, with, with that said, uh, I, I, I need to escape this episode. Now, that's going to be my bit of escapism. <laughs> Thanks for listening to today's episode. Be sure to check out our social media, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Each of us has a letterbox. Check that out. We each have a YouTube channel. Check that out. And we'll be back next week with some more spooky thrills. Have a good night, everyone. Thank you! Thank you! Woo! That was a really good show, and I hope you enjoyed it, you little ghouls. You little goblins, you little sons of bitches, I hope you had a good time. Don't forget to follow the dudes on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Or even the Netherworld Network! Trust me on this. Get yourself an Afterlife VPN. Hook yourself up. Best porn ever. Trust me. 
Also, thank you to John and Kenny Armstrong for this week's magical music. Now let's get to the hint for next week's double feature, because it's about Dracula. But I can't tell you which one just yet. That's a BJ secret. Or a secret BJ. <laughs> Hehehehe. <laughs>